Thank you, Rebecca and Dan and choir for our beautiful music today. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We continue our sermon series from the Gospel of Matthew and we find ourselves still in the Sermon on the Mount with the great temptation. If I were to ask you, what is your greatest temptation? You might say it's greed or pride or anger or lust or telling the truth. You, you might give a list of one of those things that seems to tempt and trial humanity. But I want us to look with a different lens today. The greatest temptation is to do the right thing for the wrong reason. The greatest temptation is to do the right thing for the wrong reason. In fact, Luther argued our righteousness is far more dangerous than our sin. Our righteousness is far more dangerous than our sin. Well, the first thing we see is our giving that glorifies God versus flashy charity. Giving that glorifies God versus flashy charity. Look at verses 1 through 4 of Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. That word noticed is a Greek word from which we get our word theater. I, I, when I figured that out, that gave me the whole understanding of the verse. Do not practice your righteousness before humanity in a way to be theater to humanity. Don't do it for the show. In fact, just earlier, Jesus has told us that our righteousness must exceed, chapter 5, verse 20, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we will not find the kingdom of heaven. So beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be theater to them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your fathers who is in heaven when therefore you give alms, that you there is special people, my people, those who follow Christ. When the followers of Christ, when you give alms, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. At the end of chapter 5, the last words are, be ye perfect as a heavenly father is perfect. And then he gives us three examples of how properly to exercise our righteousness. Examples of giving and praying and fasting. How our righteousness should be mature, reaching the perfection that God desires. Be careful, he says, 6-1. Do not practice your deeds, your righteousness before men in order to be noticed by them. 
Oddly enough, earlier in chapter 5, look at verse 14. He says that we are to be the light of the world, and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So how do we reconcile this call in 514 to be the light of the world, to exercise our righteousness, our deeds in such a way that the world will see them and glorify God because a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, it's one thing to be seen. It's another thing to be noticed. We have a tendency of going from the first stage of being seen, being seen as God's people to wanting to be noticed as God's people. In doing so, we substitute being the lie of the world by which we bring attention to the goodness and to the righteousness of God to being noticed and bring attention to our own kingdoms and our own righteousness. It is a great liberating day when we are freed from the, the burden of pointing to our own goodness and building up our own egos so that we can quietly exercise our deeds to be a window through which people can see the perfection of God. Jesus couldn't be more clear. If we practice our righteousness in front of others in order to be noticed by the world, well, then we'll receive no reward from our Father who is in heaven. There are no double redemptions here. For if we practice our righteousness, in this case, if we give our alms to be noticed by humanity, then there is no heavenly reward. Now, let's be clear. Jesus himself is saying that God notices our righteousness and rewards it. We are saved by grace, no doubt about it. But throughout the New Testament, from beginning to end, there is a theme that God knows, watches, and measures the deeds of his people, and that there will be rewards based on those deeds. In fact, I'll give you some homework this afternoon. Go through your New Testament. And once you are saved by grace, Every time God's people are judged, they are judged based on their deeds. Every single time in the New Testament. Now, you don't hear that a lot in Baptist churches, but that's the New Testament. Every time God's people are judged, not based on their salvation, which comes through grace, but upon their eternal rewards, it is based on their Deeds. That is a core theology of the New Testament. And indeed, we find that theology right here on the lips of our Lord. If you do it to be a show, then when you get to heaven, the Father will not reward you, for you want to be noticed. You want to be theater, and you've already gotten your chance to be theater. Well, so he gives us an example in verse 2. When you give alms, don't sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do. In the synagogues and in the streets, they be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. We have the picture of somebody blasting the trumpet on the streets, and they walk up, and then they give their gift, place it in the receptacle, place it in the offering plate. It wasn't uncommon for there to be trumpet blowing and in the streets of antiquity in Palestine, 
Water was a scarce resource, and sometimes the religious leaders would go out and blow the trumpet and bring in the water skins in the marketplace, and they would kind of stand in pride beside the water supply as the poor came and received their water. You see the image. It would have made sense to them. When you're giving out the water, don't blow the trumpet when you take care of the poor, but do it in secret. Isaiah 55 reads, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come and buy wine and milk without money, without cause. In Isaiah, the language is, come to God, and God gives freely. Not blow the trumpet and stand to be seen. I have a pastor friend who said in his church that when the offering plates were passed. He had a man who would never put it in the offering plate, but after the plates had gotten about five pews past him, he would stand up, walk down the aisle, kind of like Mr. Robbie over here, walk down the aisle, excuse me, pardon me, catch the, the usher right in the middle of the aisle and place it in the plate, and he'd go back to his seat. He said it wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't that he forgot. That was the way this guy gave his offering. He had to stand up, walk down the aisle, stop, and be seen by the church. Don't give your offering that way. Our acts of charity are to be so secretive that even our left hand is unaware of the deeds of the right hand. Let me put that another way. Not only are there to be no external trumpets, there is to be no internal music which says, after all, you're a pretty good guy. Not only there, is there to be no external blasting of the trumpets, but there is to be no internal music between the left hand and the right hand saying, you know, after all, you're a pretty good guy. God. There are not a lot of anonymous gifts in the charitable world these days. In fact, I found a report in the Philanthropy News that says only 1% of gifts of over a million dollars are given anonymously. If someone has a million dollars to give, then only 1% of those donors do it without having their name proclaimed. 1%. In fact, Really professional fundraisers and folks who do this for a living say the key to success is, well, let us put your name up. And if we put your name up, it will encourage others to also participate and to give. Now, let me just say, I'm going to preach the text just like it's written. It may make you uncomfortable. It may make me uncomfortable. In fact, there's a a plot of two on earth where there is my name on a plaque in regard to these things. And so just remember, if my stones are popping you in the head, they're, they're boomeranging back and hitting me in the back of the head as well. But this is what the text says. In fact, Richard Rordian, who's long run in philanthropic circles, says that even if people do make an anonymous gift, Oddly enough, the people that they really want to know somehow find out. That even if people do make a, a really big and officially it's anonymous, somehow they control the leak so that those that they want to find out do find out. Kate Berry of the Los Angeles Business Journal wrote an article entitled, Sometimes Anonymous Donations Aren't Really a Secret. Sometimes Anonymous Donations Aren't Really a Secret. 
people writing big checks, the UCLA Medical Center, the LA County Museum of Art she writes, or the Walt Disney Concert Hall are not looking for anonymity. What they're looking for is to get a building built, named for themselves, at a large institution, which is just another way of keeping up with the Joneses and the power playing games these days. Pablo Eisenberg says, almost no one gives anonymously anymore. And worse than that, donations now have this aspect of wanting an eternal remembrance to the donor. There's a study of gifts to the California Community Foundation, a collection of mostly smaller funds, and found of their 1,300 donor-advised funds, of all of those 1,300, only 28 of those funds are anonymous. As Cheryl Zoller-Simon, president of the Foundation Management in Beverly Hills, which advises wealthy individuals on their charitable contribution, says, you give a gift to make a difference, and you want to get something out of it. There you go. You give a gift to make a difference, and you want something out of it, meaning you want to be theater in the process of giving your gift. Philanthropy with strings. I'm happy to say that compared to many other charitable institutions that publish their givers or encourage them to give to make it to the next level that you will never see that here at First Baptist Church. Your gift will always be anonymous, and we won't put your name on anything. I promise you that. One of the best things about giving to church is not only are we fulfilling the command to bring the tithe, the whole tithe to the storehouse, but it is one of the few ways in which charity is done in a way that the right hand does not know what the left hand is doing so that we leave your reward to another kingdom. I did come across, I'm happy to say, a $100 million gift in Erie, Pennsylvania, Someone called an anonymous friend gave $100 million to the Erie Community Foundation, and many charities in the community have reaped the rewards. In fact, Mike Batchelor, president of the Erie Community Foundation, has been sworn to secrecy. If you ask him, he will not tell you if the $100 million giver is alive or dead, male or female, lives in the community or out of the community. He will not tell. And in fact, the recipients have honored the anonymity of the donor and have said, you know, if he or she doesn't want to be found out, then we won't try. We'll leave it like it is. Don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing. The greatest temptation is to do the right thing for the wrong reason. To give, to be noticed, to make the list, to reach the, the gold level or at least the bronze level. Now, we're so subtle in our ostentation and charity and it's it's not just larger institutions. Bono came up with a accessorizing with charity. He calls this program Product Red. He made a deal with power brands and asked them to produce products in the color of red. And so 
when you buy something the color of red and you post it on your Facebook, well, look, my iPhone is red or my Converse tennis shoes are red, then people know you are trendy and you are a giver and you are helping in the fight against AIDS. It's Converse, uh, Starbucks, it's Apple, American Express, they've all gotten on board with this product, Red. Amazon has a page called the Red Page, and they encourage you to buy red and post red so you can show that you are a trendy, charitable donor. Well, Jesus would have said just a high-tech way to blow the trumpet Indeed, the right hand should not know what the left hand is doing. Well, not only giving, prayers that are private versus public prayers. Prayers that are private versus public prayers. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners or to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will pay you. And when you're praying, do not use repos, meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they have their reward in full. Pray in secret. Don't pray to be seen. Make your prayers heartfelt, not empty, meaningless repetition. Everybody knows him. You've got an uncle, maybe Larry the Long Prayer. Have you met this guy? He goes around to church prayer meetings when churches are getting a circle to pray, and he always makes sure that he is the very first one to pray. And man, can he petition the throne of the Almighty with great eloquence. Larry is mentally and physically prepared, determined. He will win the longest prayer. He is going to get there. When the prayer circle begins, Larry jumps off the mark. And he begins that prayer by petitioning the heavens about the neighbor who lost their cat in the backyard. And then he moves on to South America and he works his way around the globe and never mind that that particular prayer meeting was to be about the youth service uh, decision service to follow he's going around the whole globe with his prayers and four minutes into his prayer everybody's kind of wiping their eyes and lowering their head down lower and they're trying to get an agreement with Larry on his prayer but it's getting harder and harder and they think maybe if I doze for just a moment no one else will notice and Larry is feeling good he's hitting the third heaven with this long prayer and now he's on the children who are being hunted by man-eating pythons. That's something he saw on the Internet. About that time, the youth minister comes in and says it's time for the prayer to be over. And Larry is the only one who got to pray. But Larry feels good about his prayer. In fact, I was at a public gathering for the opening of a new facility. And a guy who thought he should have a bigger part in the Events of the day was assigned to a prayer, and I kid you not, what does it say about me that I timed it? He prayed <laughs> eight minutes. He prayed for eight minutes. If you think a 25-minute sermon is long, you ought to try to endure an eight-minute prayer. They cut him out of the program. He had three points in a poem, and it was a sermon disguised as a prayer. The hypocrites want to be seen when they pray. They find a, a busy street corner and they hold their hands high. No, 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 no. The new Holy of Holies is the pantry. 
the storeroom closet. Go in there where you store the dog food. Go in there where the tools are. Go in there where the cleaning supplies are and shut the door and pray in quiet. Shut the door and pray in quiet. No one has to know about your prayers. Don't pick a busy street. And he who knows you're in the pantry praying will reward you one day in heaven. Well, there's a third example. Flashy fasting. That's uh, the way I say it. Fasting with a happy face versus flashy fasting. Look at verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not put on the gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they had their reward in full, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will repay you. Those who fast and were putting on a, a gloomy, sad face, they were kind of getting their clothing in disarray so everyone would know by the frowns on their faces that they were fasting and they were flashy in their fasting. Not so, says Jesus. When you fast, anoint your heads, wash your face, put a smile on your face, and you'll be able to receive a divine reward. Well, let me give you a modern-day example of how that might go. It's Thanksgiving Day. Everybody has baked the family's famous recipes. It's a day to eat and be at the table with family and friends for the festivities. And about the time that everybody is filling their plate, well, Cousin Ted says, no, no, I just don't care for anything today. Everybody begs him, come on, Ted, this is Grandma's dressing. We don't make this but once a year. You know you want some. Well, I just feel led of the Lord today that I should fast and think about others and not stuff my face like the rest of you are, he's saying, on this Thanksgiving Day. If you choose Thanksgiving Day to be your day of fasting, then you're going to be seen by someone. You're trying to do it at a family gathering so that everybody will know that you are indeed holier than they. Fasting was a regular part of religious activity in Jesus' own day. Uh, to the Baptist, I will say it doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. When you fast, there's that moment of emptiness at first, and then there's that intimacy with God, but do it and don't tell anybody what you're doing. Carl Vault, who wrote a commentary on Matthew, said he learned later he never met her, but his great-grandmother always fasted once a week on Wednesday. She studied the passage before us very carefully, and every Wednesday she literally anointed her head and washed her face, and well, she was a shut-in and she was home and kind of confined to, to one bedroom on that Wednesday, her day of fasting, you could go and visit her. That was fine. She didn't act any differently than she did on any other day. But the point of her activity was not to be noticed, but rather she was committed to the overriding single objective to praying for her family. Though she was unable physically very often to leave that room, and though in a certain sense she was a prisoner behind its closed doors, 
She reached the very center of her being where God was to be found from there to reach out a world beyond herself and make contact with a larger world as she prayed. When a little boy, Vault's father, would visit her on Wednesday, he became aware of his grandmother having an extremely unusual, powerful presence on Wednesday in her bedroom. And by being there was given access to the secret place where God reveals his riches. One day in the midst of one of those Wednesday visits, Carl's father said his grandfather was told by his grandmother, Son, there are more prayers in heaven stored up for you in this room than you'll ever be able to use. There are more prayers for you, son, stored up in heaven from this room than you will ever be able to use. For her, fasting was not an experiment. It was a discipline, a spiritual discipline centering on God and giving up something to pray for her family. Is any spiritual discipline not just almsgiving or praying or fasting? I mean, maybe I'm being judgmental, but when I read about the guys who want to carry a cross all across America, I wondered, couldn't you get a quiet cross in the closet. One guy started out with a 186-pound cross, and then he went down to about a 12-pound cross with wheels on it, and then he started taking rides and tying the cross to the top of the car, and the newspaper showed up and interviewed him in every city as he went through, and I, I just wonder about flamboyant acts of piety to draw attention, to get the newspaper article or the evening news. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that's not what he had in mind. He had in mind the silent cross of suffering. I'm going to give you a hard assignment this week. Do something good, but don't tell anybody. That's your homework before next week. Do something really, really good, but don't tell anybody. You're going to find that's a really hard assignment because you want to say, I'm about to for him and I want you to pray about it. No, no, nobody. Do something really good and don't tell anybody. The devil will tempt you to work it in a conversation. You'll find the first syllable out of your mouth and you're going to remember it. No, no. Do it in such a way that the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing. Do what is right, but do it in the right way. Do what is right, but do it in the right way. And he who sees in secret will one day reward. Let us pray. God, it is a tremendous temptation to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Help us, O oh God, 
Be quiet, humble servants who aren't about building up our own name, but building up the name of our Jesus. That we don't worry about our own kingdoms, but we're building up the kingdom of God. God, I pray this morning, maybe there's someone who needs to come and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, that today would be her day or his day to come and say yes to the Lordship of Jesus, or others who need to come and be a part of this first family at First Baptist to say, I want to worship here and serve here, exercise my gifts here for the kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.